Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to The Catch with John Fisher on Blog Talk Radio, connecting life to faith. To get it together, trying to help their fellow man, hoping we can make it better. Do you really think we can? Yes. Do you think we can? Well, we do. We believe we can make it better, but not us. It's 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 Christ in us as we make ourselves available to him. And uh, that's the excitement of the new covenant ministry is basically showing up and knowing that God is faithful to work through us if we trust him. And um, that's, that's really the way we're going to change the world uh, in a, a little, little bit by little bit doing, doing what uh, he wants us to do. And uh, it was uh, three years ago, last month, that we had this guest on that I have today. And we were in the early stages of our blog talk radio. And I was so proud to have him that uh, I still talk about uh, that interview as if it was yesterday. And uh, our guest, our guest that I'm talking about, who we have back today, is uh, none other than Oz Guinness. Oz, welcome to Blog Talk Radio. Oz, you know what? That's my fault. You're going to come on in just a minute. Hold on. Okay. I forget that when the music starts, Oz, they automatically mute you. <laughs> no, and I didn't turn you. I didn't turn you back up. So welcome oh, to Blog Talk well, Radio. It's a great delight again. to be back. On, a delight to be back on with you again, John. <laughs> oh, thank you. You know, three years ago, you had a book out called The Global Public Square, and uh, we had uh, an amazing discussion about freedom of religion, primarily, and talking about the fact that uh, freedom of religion is something that we need to fight for for everybody, not just us. And uh, your thinking on this was just so radical and wonderful to hear uh, because, you know, we've come through such a, a long, I would say, 20 years of what I would call culture wars where where the Christians are basically fighting the world, not, not getting on this in the same square with the world. But if we were, we were going to, we were going to fight. We were going to win that culture war. And the whole idea of supporting one another, supporting even other religions. And I love the way you, you uh, taught us to say uh, all religions and none uh, which would include those people who have no religion. Uh, those were n- new thoughts for a lot of us, Oz, and, and we've built a lot on that And uh, because we like to talk about being Christians in the marketplace. Now, three years later, it's really a different world. 
And um, I'd just like to hear you talk a little bit about how the, the changes in the world have affected um, some of those thoughts and some of those, those uh, things that you, have, you, you want us to do in terms of, you know, the public square. Do we, do we even have a public square? I, I'd love to hear you talk about that. For, for we certainly have one. Both We have a public square in Capitol Hill, and we have it in op-ed pages of the papers, and we have it on the Internet mm. every day, and it's got angrier and more uncivil almost by the day. And so we have a public square, but it's not doing at all well at the moment, and that's part of the sea change of the last few years. If you start with religious freedom alone, three things have happened so that in 20 years, Things are more different now than they have been in America for 300 years. Uh, hmm. Can you hear me, John? I can hear all sorts of other noises. Yeah, I can hear stage. you. You can no, hear me all right. No, I, I can hear you. You're probably hearing some of and, the music nearby, nearby ah, but I can hear you fine. No, good. Okay. Well, just, you know, just play like America we're chatting whole, in the bar. Okay. Well, terrific. If you look at America as a whole, America is facing, I think, its gravest crisis since the Civil War. The nation is more divided politically, economically, religiously, racially, culturally, in various other ways than any time since the Civil War. And so we're in an extraordinary dire moment. If you look wider than that, the West is in decline, and much of the world, the Middle East, and say the North Korean Peninsula, they're on fire, so it's an extraordinary moment. Hmm. Uh, Oz, what do you think has has caused some of this? You know, the, the whole the, the rise of Trump, and we could talk about Trump, but I, I really don't think it's Trump. I think it's what what he no, said. No. I think it's his mess. It's his message that captured people, and and that kind of falls into the the Brexit message of an isolationism and a, and uh, and then I guess France is beginning to to look in that direction too um, what, what is well John I think this, we have to look do much, you think? much deeper than Trump much deeper than Trump the way I put it is Trump did not cause the crisis the crisis caused Trump and uh-huh. that's a very different thing and I personally think that Trump is kind of the wrecking ball stopping America in its tracks so the country has a time to rethink. In other words, we're not putting our faith in Trump, not at all. But things are badly off the rails, and we need to rethink and really be clear we're going in a better direction. I think many of the challenges actually go back to the 1960s, which is the period when you and I first met. Right. Tell me some more about that. Well, put it like this. If you take an issue like, say, slavery, the Constitutional Convention was a Faustian bargain. They remained silent over the evil of slavery so that the southern states would sign on to the U.S. But that Faustian bargain meant that the evil became a hypocrisy, and it festered until the 1960s, and then the Civil Rights Movement just insisted on opening the scab, as it were, and showing the ugly Mm. racism for what it was. But that happened with, say, women and feminism. That happened with militarism and the anti-Vietnam movement. And so in the middle of the 60s, 
what had been classical American liberalism with a capital L shifted across to a left liberalism with a lowercase l, and it's since then been repudiating the past, uncomfortable with the founders, and usually against all religion, including the Christian faith. And you can see today that many of the big challenges in the country are closer to 1979, sorry, 1789 and the French Revolution than they are to 1776 and the American Revolution. And I personally think that's the root of the deepest crisis we have in the country. Mm. Okay. For example, John, if, if, you, if you take, yeah, yeah, take say, political, correct, political correctness, the simple yeah. idea that the mastery of reality comes through the mastery of language that was in the French Revolution. It was in the Communist Revolution. You know, George Orwell spoke against it in 1984 with his notion of doublespeak and newspeak. And it, it burst out in political correctness in the 1970s and 80s in this country. And now you see some universities, literally, the provost of Stanford said you only, see one, you only hear one side of the debate now. And you have a serious threat to religious, not religious freedom, but freedom of expression on many campuses. That's an example of what goes back to 1789, directly against 1776. Wow. Can you, can you put this in, in terms um, for, for people who are not maybe uh, like, like me, that well-versed in, in uh, a full <laughs> onslaught of history? But maybe, maybe just the common, common person every day. Why, why are these attitudes coming out that we see today, and why are they so prevalent? Well, put another way, of, John. At, I think at the heart of the notion of freedom is how you disagree with people who are different from you. How do we live with deep differences? Yeah. And the strongly Christian and American notion of freedom of conscience includes the right to be wrong. Even God, Roger Williams put it like this, even God does not rape our conscience if we choose eternity without him. And so on. God doesn't rape our conscience, and we shouldn't rape anyone's. So people should be persuaded, not coerced. But that notion that error has no rights, it was a medieval notion that led to the Inquisition, and all sorts of horrors. It is not the Christian way, and it's certainly not the American way, but it is the way of the medieval times, and it's the way of certain atheists, like Sam Harris, in your way, and it's certainly the way of the left. They don't give people who disagree with them the right to be heard, and that's incredibly important to a democracy and to a free republic. So how we treat people who disagree with us is incredibly important. We should always try to that we as followers of Jesus should love them, mm -hmm. listen to them, and if we disagree, try to persuade, not coerce, and certainly not silence and shut them up. Do you think? Do you uh, do you think the internet has been part of the cause, or is it just to fan the fan the flame? Well, it certainly fanned the flame people... in the sense that the internet is distanced. In other words, you can be on a blog under an anonymous screen name, and then you have no responsibility. 
And you see when people right. have anonymous screen names, the discourse slides down to barbaric, degrading brutality. Hmm. And the rudeness is unbelievable. But that always happens you yeah. know, in, in the biblical notion of sin in Genesis 3 and so on. As the Jews point out rightly, sin is a ducking of responsibility. You know, Adam, Lord, the woman you gave me, she gave me the fruit. Or Cain, am I my brother's keeper? No, no, he's saying. In other words, sin, evil, always ducks responsibility. And when people duck responsibility, it's much easier for them to do evil. So the Internet helps that by masking who people really are. Wow. And then it, it, it fans... It fans the flame by people saying whatever they want to say without ever having to experience any consequences. Exactly. There's no restraint. Isn't, isn't that right? Exactly yeah. right. And yeah. of course, then you have the added effect that through the internet and through the radio and television, people live in their own tribes, their own silos. So you only listen to people, quote, like us, and everyone else is wrong mm-hmm. and evil or whatever. And that's dangerous. So citizens aren't engaging with citizens, and that's tragic. You know, at the heart of the book of Exodus, yeah. which obviously lies behind the New Testament, is the notion of the love of our neighbor as ourselves. And even what's quite remarkable, John, love of neighbor is only said once in the Torah, in Leviticus. But the love of the stranger is actually said more than 35 times. And the point being the stranger is not in our image, but is in God's image. And so we should treat them, you know, as a fellow image bearer of the Lord. Wow. I love that. Um, do you have, do you want to make any um, any predictions as to where this is all headed, Oz? How far are we going to go with this, do you think? (laughs) No, I try not to make any predictions. Only the Lord can do that. (laughs) All I try and do is point out, you know, where we are now and the different possibilities that might come out of it. But which way it will go, I don't know. But if you, for example, John, if you take the whole notion of postmodernism, you know, our post-truth world, it's, it's, mm-hmm. You don't have to be very wise to see that's going to lead to a world of power plays, of power mongering, of domination, of bullying, whether it's politics or schoolyards. And that's what America will be because you need truth to guarantee freedom and you need truth to stand against manipulation. And without truth, there is only power. And so if America goes that way, that's the end of the republic. Mm. And all sorts of other things mm. will just follow naturally, too. Now, I'm not predicting that, but it's just easier to see if certain trends happen, mm-hmm. certain other consequences are inevitable. Okay. Paint a better option for us that could well, possibly happen. <laughs> well, put it this way, John. <laughs> One of the greatest philosophers of the 20th century was Martin Heidegger, who had a terrible story because he was an admirer of Hitler, but he was an incredibly realistic critique, critic of technology. And after he died, there was an uh, interview published in Der Spiegel, and, and, and Heidegger said this, we're a place where only a God can save us now. 
And certainly, if you look at many of the gigantic human problems or the American problems on the agenda, they are beyond politics. And we got it, the failure of the Christian right was thinking mm. politics alone can do it. When the first thing to say about right. politics is that politics is not the first thing. And more and more, we're getting <laughs> to the place we see only the Lord can turn certain things around. Now, that doesn't mean we sit back and do nothing, but it means that our prayer, urgent prayer for mercy and for revival, is a very important part of what we do. So I thank the Lord for the growing interest in prayer warriors and people praying urgently for revival, knowing that many of the biggest things we simply can't do, only the Lord can do. Wow. Wow, well, you, you've, already, you've already answered my question. I, I, <laughs> my next question was, what can we do? <laughs> what, what, what do we tell our people to do? And uh, uh, well, that, that's, that's it, exciting. A, let me add to that, though. It is a time for Christians to see we have got to be faithful. With the collapse of the Christian consensus, with all the alternative beliefs, with a strong pressures against us so that we're described as bigots and prejudiced and hate-filled, all these things, many Christians are compromising and many are demoralized and full of fear. So we've got to stand Mm. faithful. That's what my book, Impossible People, is about. Because, you know, way back in the 11th century, there was a man called Peter Damien who was described as the impossible man because he couldn't be manipulated. He was unmanipulable, unbribable. He was so sold out to Jesus, and we need people like that today. We're not fearful, not anxious, not hot-headed activists who think we have to take things into our own hands, but absolutely unshakable faith because of the sovereignty of God. God is greater than all. God can be trusted in all situations, including ours, so we should have no fear and have faith in him. Wow, fantastic. Well, you've been busy, Oz. Uh, we've missed one one book, and now there's another one coming out. Now, the one you just talked <laughs> about, what was the title of that book, Impossible People? The one that came out that last it? year is called Impossible People, Christian Courage and okay. the Challenge of Civilization. I've just finished another one. This one's actually, it's called Last Call for Liberty. And it, mm. it, it, it's it's a book for the general American citizen, And in effect, the book is a checklist, a citizen's checklist of 10 questions to ask about freedom. Because many people, take, say, the libertarians, they have views of freedom that are unrealistic and unsustainable. And what's in in crisis is America's freedom. So people have got to rethink and maybe return to to better ways. Wow. Wow. Tell us, uh, can you tell us, a li- so it sounds like this is a book uh, not just for Christians. Then. Is that what you're saying? Yes, it's a book for the general uh, public, and I'm sending it to New York publishers. I haven't got a publisher yet. It hasn't gone out yet, but I finished it. Oh, I see. Okay, okay. Oh, my, I'm I'm excited about that. Uh, well, we'll have can to you again together in, in less than a year. Uh, I'm wondering if you can extrapolate a little bit more on on uh, on this because I it's it's really um, 
it sounds like you're saying we have to redefine or maybe uh, or, or maybe it, it's it's going back and discovering what what liberty is really all about that we forgot exactly um, it's not redefining it's the forgetting yeah. that's got the problem put it like this john it, huh. you know, it used to be said that freedom is not the permission to do what you like it's the power to do what you ought in other words freedom hmm. requires truth and freedom requires ethics you look at the book of exodus the liberation from egypt it was only the beginning. The Lord could take them out of Egypt, but it took a long time to take Egypt out of them. And you can see they had to grow <laughs> to be really free and have the covenant to live within the framework of freedom and so on. And so there's a lot of views of freedom, the libertarian view. Put another way, John. Freedom is negative, freedom from, and freedom is also positive, freedom for, freedom to be. Most of American freedom today is negative only. You're free if you've got no one watching you, no parental supervision or whatever. That's only negative freedom. But you've got to have truth to have positive freedom to know what you're supposed to be and how you're to live. How do we do, how do, we do truth um, with, with a secular culture? Well, we're, we're, like Elijah and Mount Carmel, you know, he was against all the false prophets of Baal, and most of the people, as he said, were sitting on the fence. And that's America today. You've got a lot of crazy ideas out there, but most Americans are rather confused and sitting on the fence. And we've got to say to them, in effect, do you want to go the way of the Jewish and Christian biblical way that's also the way of 1776 and the founders of America? Or do you want to go the way of the secularists and the so-called progressives of the capital B and people who are really, without realizing it, closer to the French Revolution. I mean, you take, say, the sexual revolution and some of the stuff behind the gender revolution. The ideas go back to Wilhelm Reich and behind him to people like the Marquis de Sade and Jean-Jacques Rousseau, and they will lead to chaos and craziness. But Hmm. Americans have got to decide which view of freedom is the true one which will sustain the republic. Well, do you um, do you spend much time with? Uh, uh, I bet you do with uh, young younger people, like like what we would call millennials, um, eighteen to twenty five year olds. We uh, we have a new one on our board right now, and yeah, as um, often as I can. Are you are you hopeful about that generation? Well, the tragedy currently, well, back up, John, both the gospel and the American Republic require what's called transmission, handing down from generation to generation. The Jews are brilliant at this. The tragedy in America is that civic education has been lost in the public schools. There's no transmission. And now the notion of generationalism, making each generation so self-conscious and so different from all the others that they're cut off completely. Mm. That's crazy. In other words, the baton is being dropped between the generations. So the problem ah. with the millennials is not, is not just some of their weaknesses, like the fact they don't read books very much. The problem is they're being cut off from previous generations, and so the baton's dropped. 
Can you go back to I love to think of going back to the 08 Olympics in China when for the first time America had no runners on the podium of the relays. Now, it's true that Usain Bolt was rather faster than most Americans that year, but the real problem was the American relay runners were fast, but they dropped the baton. And the same thing is happening in the church and in the country by failing to pass on from generation to generation. Wow. So I was, well, I, I was speaking to um, a group of millennials just yesterday. And tell uh, and and how did that go? Did I? Are you still there? Yes, I'm. I'm still here. I, I love oh, talking about oh, that. Good, good. I appreciate them, but I challenge well, them too. Good, good. Um, I don't know. We we've found that they seem to be more open to uh, the the truth of the gospel, more open to Jesus. Um, in in some of the similar ways that we were back in the 60s and 70s, I think. Um, At least we're finding that out. Uh, But as you say, uh, they seem to be separated out. What what can we do about that? Um, It's almost like, how do you tell somebody that they don't have what they don't know? (laughs) (laughs) That's difficult, isn't it? (laughs) Well, we can sort of tell them, you know, it's like sort of tell you all the things I wish I'd known when I was 20. You know, Mm. you and I have seen, we've been around the the stadium a lot of laps now, and it's not that we're immensely wise where we are, just we've been around a lap or two more, and you learn a few things even when you, you know, stumble and fall. So we've got a few things to teach. Mm So I think we've got a lot to share, and I always put it, uh, these are the things I wish I'd been told when I was your age. But some yeah. of them are too arrogant to, to listen. They think they're so different, they don't need to listen to anyone. And that's a recipe hmm. for disaster. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, we, we maybe we've gotten lucky, because we, we've found some pretty humble uh, millennials who are willing Wonderful. to learn. And... Um, Wonderful. And um, And in fact, I'm I'm thinking of one. Go ahead. No, as you said, some ways they're closer to our generation, the 60s generation. They're much more a thinking group than, say, the boomers in between them. Yeah. Because our generation was crazy. It was idealistic to a fault, but at least it thought hard. And I'm incredibly grateful that I came to Christ in the 60s. You had to think through everything back to square one. Or you didn't believe it at all. <laughs> and so you had a faith that was rock solid and thought through for each mm-hmm. of us. Well, the boomers weren't like that. Yeah. And there's been an awful lot of softness in between and a feeling Christian faith. Yeah. And I, I'm grateful that yes. some of the millennials are really thoughtful again. I love that. And I love their passion for justice. Yes. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm thinking of a couple in particular who will will love listening to this interview and um, will be very excited because uh, um, they do, they are reaching back and, um, you know, going, going far back into our history and coming up with, with things that they feel like we, where we, where we drop the ball. 
So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I was, I was very, very excited about that. Well, um, gosh, our, our time is just about up. Um, I would love to just in the last couple minutes, um, just hear what, what you have to say to us as people who want to make a difference in the marketplace. We don't, we don't want to be, we don't want to separate ourselves out from the world. We want to be a part of it. We, we want to be yeah, in that public square, wherever it is. Um, what, what would, what would be your, your, your word of encouragement um, to us in terms of uh, what, what we need to be focusing on right now? Well, you know, there's a lot of talk of the Benedict option withdrawing in order to reform ourselves. And I think that's a great mistake. The heart of the Reformation was engagement through every disciple following his or her calling. And that's what we need. What the 19th century called doing the Lord's work in the Lord's way. So we should be engaging, but not in the world's way. So, for example, we will have a lot of attacks today, but we should love our enemies and really try and be as faithful to our Lord in the way we do things as well as what, what it is we're trying to do. So this is a great day for engagement, but thoroughly with faith and faithfulness. Hmm. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, Oz, this has been great. Um, uh, I, I, got, I got at least one more book to read, and, uh, and soon another one. John. We're going to pray. We're going to pray. You know, it sounds like that, that new book, uh, that needs to come out soon. Um, uh, well, I hope do you think so. you, do you, yeah, because uh, that that's the kind of book that could make make a difference in the way people think in our culture. So uh, we'll be praying for that. And well, for, thank uh, you. And I, really, I hope we'll be back on together really, before another three years. About. I hope so for sure. In fact, I promise <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Oz, thank you so much. You are most welcome, John. God bless. Okay. God bless you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, there you have it, folks. That was Oz Guinness, um, his inimitable self and his brilliant mind and uh, his passion, passionate love for the Lord all wrapped up together. Um, It's a great, it's a great package there. And, uh, uh, so I'm going to have to listen to this about four times, uh, and I hope you do, uh, just to try and get all of it. And uh, I hope that you will uh, stay tuned to Blog Talk Radio because we just keep bringing this stuff in front of you, so that you can think and be real and and be involved in the world uh, around us. That that is really our our whole idea here. And we we want to help you do that. We want to help you bring bring in uh, the kingdom of God. And uh, so let's 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 do pray get 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 impo- uh, what was that impossible people get that book. I highly recommend it. Um, and then um, look for this new one and let's pray about that new one because. Uh, as a book written more towards the culture, the secular culture, and what 
what we what we're missing and what we need. That's a book that really could, um, you know, should be in the hands of politicians, should be in the hands of influencers and CEOs and people who make decisions about things. Um, we need to see uh, what freedom really is and and go back to the go back to our roots, like like uh, like Oz said. So. God bless you. I hope you enjoyed tonight. Um, don't miss next week. We will be here with you. And uh, can't, can't wait to see what else we find out. <laughs> <laughs>